0: So we know that our purpose in this life is to be like Christ, but is it possible to fully become like Christ in this life? And if so, how? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting Now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again. You are listening to Bible Study BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Monday, September the 20th of 2010. As always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon, and thank you guys so much for downloading this message today. We really do consider it a blessing for you to be here with us as we go through uh, this book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be covering verse 2 today. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and we'll start that in just a minute. I hope you guys have had a fantastic weekend, and I hope it's cooling off. Where you are, it's heating right back up. Where I am, here in Arkansas, uh, I'm in the last week. You know, we've been in the mid 90s again. So, uh, man, I am ready for fall. I don't know about you guys, but I am ready for fall. Real quick before we get started, I wanted to give you guys kind of an update in terms of how things are going with the church plant and uh, the job search for me. If you guys listened to the uh, the message that we did called "Timeout Breathe" last month, I talked about how uh, I'm kind of. Transitioning out of the whole church planting thing, I'm looking for a more uh, long-range job, and I've received a couple emails from you guys, uh, you know, offering your prayers and, and everything like that, and I really appreciate that. And some of you have asked how it's been going, so just to give you guys an update, uh, this is a really, really long process looking for a church because not only do I want to find a church that fits me, but I want to find a church that I fit as well. If that makes sense, in other words. I want to find a church that's healthy and a church that is prayerfully going through this process of looking through, you know, sometimes hundreds of applicants and looking for the person who is just right for them. If I were to end up in a church where they only sing hymns, for example, I would be pretty unhappy. I, I wouldn't like that. Uh, in fact, one of the churches that I was looking at said that they have traditional worship, and so I wrote them an email and said, well, you know, I'm... I'm interested in your church, but I see that the average age in your church is over 65 years old, but the average age of the person in your community is like 35 years old. So are you interested in reaching those people through using new methods while keeping the message the same? Uh, and that's, that's always our dilemma in our culture. We're always trying to find what fits with our culture without changing the gospel. There are different methods, but an unchanging message Does that make sense? Anyway, so uh, anyway, this is going to be a long process. I'm thinking at least six months or so. So, yeah, just keep praying for me. I appreciate it. I need it. And I'm doing the same thing. I'm praying my way through this and trusting that the Lord has something for me somewhere. After all, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, we are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. And so I trust that whatever I am going to end up doing will be in accordance with that verse. So anyway, just to give you guys a heads up and uh, an update, on how things are going there. Anyway, we've got a lesson to do. Let's go ahead and get started with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this time where we can take a little bit of time out of our busy days to learn about your word and to learn about you. Lord, I pray that today you would reveal your holy and perfect will to us in a way that speaks to us wherever we are in life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as fall is starting to roll around here in northwest Arkansas, or like I said, it is supposedly, supposedly—I mean, the temperatures haven't changed, but anyway, as it's starting to roll around uh, to fall time here in northwest Arkansas, it's the time of year when it's common to see these huge web-looking things hanging off the edges of trees with the branches and the leaves that are inside of these things uh, quickly dying, quickly turning brown. And they really grab your attention because it's typically really, really green here uh, during the summer months and the spring months and even you know for the beginning of fall. But that green is sharply contrasted with these huge patches of brown which result from these web-looking things. And they kind of struck me as odd because out west when I was living in Las Vegas and California and uh, even when I lived in Dallas for the year uh, that I went to seminary down there, I had never seen these things before. So we used to see these things in North Carolina and that was the first time I saw them. And I didn't have any idea what they were when I first saw them. It was only later that I finally asked somebody who told me that they are butterfly and moth nests. Interesting. We actually had one of these in our yard a couple of weeks ago. I hadn't ever taken the time to uh, to really look closely inside one of them. Usually they're up high on a tree, but this one was down low, so when one showed up on one of our trees in our yard and it was low enough to see, I decided to take a, a closer look. Well, caterpillars are kind of cute and fuzzy, but these things were just ugly larvae. Uh, either way, you know, whether you uh, look at either a caterpillar or an ugly little larva, it's strange to imagine that the insect you're looking at will one day be just totally different. But this little insect, which crawls, will end up with beautiful wings, and it'll fly instead of squirming around on the ground. And of course, this isn't something that happens instantly. The caterpillar or the larvae uh, start out in the pupal stage, and as it prepares to enter the larval stage, it'll secrete silk from two glands which are inside of them. And the silk, it gets hardened by the air, and the air forms the silk into a cocoon, which protects the insect during its metamorphosis. That's the key word there. During its metamorphosis, from a crawling to a flying insect. Now, Depending on the type of butterfly it'll become, they might be in their cocoon for two weeks, as is the case with monarch butterflies, or they could even be in their cocoon for up to an entire season. But this process of metamorphosis is undoubtedly one of the most amazing things in all of nature, because what comes in is not what comes out, or it doesn't appear that way. Now, as we've started our study of Romans chapter 12, we're faced with a similar phenomenon, although we might not even realize it on the surface. Paul told us in verse 1 that we're to, what, present ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice which is pleasing to God, and that's part one of the exhortation that he has for the believer, but he follows that up in verse 2 by writing, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, let's be honest. We like the idea of nonconformity, right? I think there's something in that ideology or that philosophy which appeals to just about everyone because we're rebellious at heart. For the unbeliever, the appeal of that word is that you don't have to follow the rules. For the believer, however, it means something entirely different. For the unbeliever, it means that you don't have to follow the rule breakers. And that's what Paul's getting at when he says, don't be conformed to this age or this world. We live in an evil age, which is characterized by what? By self-centered living. That's why terms like non-conformity have appeal. It's the philosophy that says, I'm going to live by my rules and nobody else's rules. And Paul's exhorting us to turn away from that type of philosophy. Why though? why is he instructing believers to turn away from a self-centered life? Well, yeah, because we should be living sacrifices which are well-pleasing to God, but he also gives this exhortation because it's entirely possible, get this, listen to this, it's entirely possible for a believer to continue in a self-centered way of living. If it weren't possible, Paul wouldn't need to instruct us to do otherwise. So instead of conforming to the evil ways of this age, we're in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. Our lives should be looking more and more and more like his life. But this isn't something that just happens overnight. If you're saved on Thursday, for example, you don't wake up on Friday with this whole new Worldview, which is perfectly in alignment with the things that God values and the things that God loves and hates, that's just not the way it works. It would be easier if it did, but that's not the way it works. Like the butterfly, we have a process that we must undergo before God's work of developing perfect Christlikeness in us is completed. So Paul says, "Don't be conformed to this age or to this world, but be what." be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, the Greek word for transformed, this is great. The Greek word for transformed is metamorpho. Of course, when you hear that, you should probably realize that this is the very word that we get the word metamorphosis from. It's not a Greek word that we find commonly in scripture. It's only used a few times. Uh, For example, it's used to describe what happened when Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew tells us, quote, and he was, that is Jesus was, transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. That's from Matthew chapter 17, verse 2. Mark uses the same word to describe the same event. Then we find it here in our text in Romans, and the only other place where we can find it is in Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, where he wrote, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. That's from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. So the idea here is that by renewing our minds regularly, whether that be through prayer or studying the Bible or what have you, the idea here is that we should gradually begin looking more and more radically different than we once did as unbelievers. Just like the butterfly looks so different from a caterpillar that you'd never guess it was actually the same insect, so too the follower of Jesus should eventually start to look so incredibly different from who they once were that it causes people who knew you as an unbeliever to wonder, what on earth Has happened to you. And if that isn't happening, it can mean one of two things basically. First of all, it can mean that we're not really renewing our minds, or secondly, more seriously, it can mean something like we weren't really saved in the first place. We had an illegitimate conversion experience. It's impossible for us to know which it is when we see a young believer whose life isn't changing because, as God told Samuel, God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. So I'm not one of those theologians who goes around saying, oh, look at this, this is a false conversion, or, or oh, look at that guy, look what he's doing, that was a false conversion. Those guys don't know what a false conversion looks like. None of us know what a false conversion looks like. Only God sees what a false conversion looks like. Now, our text tells us that we're in this stage of metamorphosis. It's like the stage that a caterpillar's in when it's inside of the cocoon before the insect is fully developed into either a moth or a butterfly. Let's go with a the butterfly. They're prettier. But <laughs> our transformation is happening right here and right now. Paul wrote to Titus and explained how this transformation is taking place in our lives, writing, quote, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That's from Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. So the end result for us, if we've experienced a legitimate conversion, is becoming like Christ. The Holy Spirit has been poured out in and through us to enable us to become like him. That's the good news, right? The bad news is that none of us are there yet. We're becoming, but we haven't arrived. So how are we going to get there? And what's the point of it all if we can't completely get there in the here and now? Well, let's use an illustration to clear up some of these questions. Imagine, just for a second, that you're on uh, on a boat which is traveling from North America to England. And as you get closer and closer to England, the captain of your boat is being notified that you have to be escorted into the harbor. The boat can't proceed into the harbor by itself. So what do you do? You stay put until you get escorted in. You've traveled closer and closer to England, but until you're in the harbor, until you are docked and in the harbor, you're not fully there per se. And that's how it works with us as well. We can change drastically, but we have to wait to be escorted in, so to speak. We might be carried back a little even, uh, you know, by a a rip current of the old habits that we used to have, which tempt us to revert to our flesh nature. But once we're escorted into the harbor, so to speak, we're there at Christlikeness. So the question is, how will our journey toward Christlikeness be finalized? How will it become permanent? When will our metamorphosis be complete? Well, I hate to give an overly simplistic answer, but it really is. John tells us when and how that's going to happen. He writes, quote, we know that when he, that is Jesus, we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. That's from 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. So the reason we'll be like him is because we'll see him just as he is. And it's really as simple is that it will literally take a miracle. If we understand a miracle as being an act of God, it will literally take a miracle, but it's a miracle that each one of us who have trusted in the grace of God alone is provided for in Jesus's work on the cross. It's something that we've all been promised. Yes, we are promised that we'll become like Christ and it's going to happen simply by us seeing him as he is when he appears. Between now and then, the Holy Spirit is working. He's working in our lives to prepare us for that moment, drawing us closer to Jesus and teaching us to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh, right? For now... Our lives should be characterized by our daily submission to him in order that he can direct us. If we refuse to submit, which I'd say that we all do, by the way, at least from time to time, if we refuse to submit, then we're walking in the flesh. One of the great things that the Holy Spirit will do within us is gift us for certain functions within a body of believers. And it's by recognizing, identifying, and then growing in these things that we'll learn to yield more and more to the spirit and less to the flesh and that's what paul had in mind when the same spirit who gifts and guides us led paul to write now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit which is from god that we might understand the gifts bestowed on us by god that's from first corinthians chapter 2 verse 12 now time out just a side note here your translation might say things instead of gifts some do say gifts and some say things but looking at the greek it is definitely possible to translate that as gifts The principle that I want all of us to get out of this, friends, the principle here is that if you have trusted in Jesus for your salvation, then the ability to live a pure and holy life is within reach for us. We don't have to sin. We don't have to conform to the evil of this age. We don't have to do things which are displeasing to God. From the moment that you were saved, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit, which rendered you able to to turn away from those things you once were dead but now you're alive because Jesus lives within you your spirit has been regenerated but now let the Holy Spirit guide you and direct you toward ultimate Christ likeness if you will just submit yourself to him you'll have a daily source of renewal When we do that, when we yield ourselves to him through the renewing of our minds, Paul tells us that we do something, we accomplish something. What does he say here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2? He says we prove what the will of God is. Okay, well, What's the will of God? That's a question that people love to throw around, isn't it? We've probably all heard it. Some will say that it's God's will that bad things happen to people. Some will say that if that's his will, they'd rather believe that God just doesn't exist. Some will say that his will is that we live lives however we choose. No, if we're living holy and pure lives, if we're renewing our minds and being transformed by him, it proves that the will of God is, as Paul says here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, That which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, the word acceptable isn't something that motivates us, is it? It really isn't. I mean, if we do something great at work or if we score really high on a test, for example, and somebody tells us that's acceptable, we're bound to think, you know, what? Uh, That was better than acceptable. That was great. In fact, if you were to look up the word acceptable in a thesaurus, for example, you'd find that it's a synonym for words like fair or passable or average. But I'll have you know, friends, that God doesn't see us as merely fair or passable or average. This Greek word means well-pleasing, and that's often exactly how the word gets translated to other parts of Scripture. I believe that our modern understanding of the word acceptable falls way short of what Paul's getting at here. The idea here is that when we present ourselves as living sacrifices who are being transformed by the daily renewing of our minds, God is more than just satisfied with us. And in return, he teaches us what his will is. So what's God's will? Well, God's will is perfect, and thus his will must be perfect. Everything that he wants is perfect. It's impossible for God to desire or accept anything that's imperfect. Because love means to desire the ultimate good for the object of one's love, we have to understand that sometimes sometimes his will is difficult for us to see because we only see things in the here and now. And that's why people wonder if evil... Is the will of God. He permits it instead of bringing it to an end. Well, how can a God who only wills for that which is good allow evil to persist? It's because God sees the big picture. No, he doesn't love evil. He doesn't want evil, but he loves the people who commit evil acts, and he wants to save them from being enslaved to their evil acts. And to do that, people must freely choose to love him. In order to do that, However, they need to have a free will, and that's where the possibility for the existence of evil exists. If someone has the free will to choose to love, they also have to have the free will to choose not to love, but to do evil instead. The fact of the matter is that we might not always understand why God allows a certain thing to happen. It's common for us to be blinded by being caught up in the here and now. Nevertheless, we have to believe that God has things under control, and that there's nothing which can happen to us which he doesn't allow or which he cannot use to make us more like Christ. His will and his way is perfect. My will and my ways are flawed unless they're in alignment with God's will and God's ways. I won't always be able to understand how God can allow a child to die of cancer. If someone were to ask me why God lets things like that happen, my answer would be I don't know. I don't know why God allows things like that to happen. But the only reason I don't know is because I don't see the end from the beginning. I don't always see how something fits in to the big picture of God working all things for the good of those who love Him. I don't see how it makes someone somewhere more like Christ necessarily. But here's the thing, here's the catch. I trust in God's word. I trust in God's nature. And I trust in God's will, which is perfectly good. Sometimes that's the only thing I know, but it's the only thing I need to know. Friends, God wants to show, he wants to prove his goodness and his perfect will to the world through our lives in one way or another. He wants us to prove these things by living a life which is well-pleasing to him, a life which involves self-sacrifice for the sake of the gospel, a life which involves being transformed by the daily renewing of our minds, and a life which has undergone a radical and drastic metamorphosis. No matter what your circumstances in life are right now, friends, whatever might be holding you back or dragging you down, Let me encourage you, set your eyes on Jesus, renew your mind, be transformed. There are no problems, there are no circumstances which have to get in your way. The Holy Spirit knows the way around or through those walls. Seek and yield to him, because there's nothing more powerful than he is, and it's through his power that we must continue in our journey toward Christlikeness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do want to show your will to the world. We want to prove that your will is good to the world, Lord. I pray that you would teach each of us to live lives which are holy and more than acceptable to you. Lives which are well-pleasing to you, Father. We love you. You have redeemed us. You own us. You did everything so that we could become one with you, so that we could become your children. Lord, help us reflect your goodness. Help us reflect your character in our lives. We pray that you will continue to work all things to our good because we love you and you are going to make us more like your son, Jesus. Lord, that is our deepest desire, that we would be like you. I pray, Lord, that nothing would get in the way of that, that you would teach us to set our selfish ambitions aside to pursue you to with all we have. In Jesus' name, you in amen. Eyes, the fire. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcasts.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today and keep growing closer to Jesus. Jesus, love, sick, worshipers, we are love, sick, worshipers in our hearts. Desire will be complete when we see you, when we see you. We'll